Good morning, Calvary family. It's good to be with you again this morning. Hope you're staying cool and relaxed. We want to invite you into the Word of God. And uh, we continue in the series in the book of Hebrews. And the theme that's going to be this week and the next coming weeks is holding on to Jesus. Uh, my daughter sent me a wonderful Instagram of a little girl that really captures the idea of holding on to God when you go through difficult circumstances. She's getting some blood drawn from her, but listen to the faith of this little girl holding on to God. That's it, that's it, that's it. That's it. Look at blood going in there. That's it. See? Did it hurt? Did it hurt? It's not bad. I'm not going to stick you know, That's all it right. Just have to say it one time. See your blood still going in there? Boy, I love that heart. My God is so big and so strong, there is nothing that He cannot do. We need that kind of faith, and I appreciate that little girl as she inspires me, and I hope you as well to know that whatever we're going through, there is a God who is big and strong. There is nothing that he cannot do. This morning, we want to share from the book of Hebrews, and I encourage you to have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 10. But let me begin with a fellow that I met some years ago. His name is Ben. Uh, ben came to our services and uh, actually came after our services were concluded, and he wanted to talk to the pastor, and so I became available to him, and we sat together. And uh, sometimes as a pastor, when you have somebody coming in that looks a little disheveled and uh, maybe not having a shower lately, uh, you begin to get the sense that they're kind of down in their luck and you want to help them, you care for them, but often it's just a handout that they want and then they'll move on maybe to another setting, another church. So Ben sat down and he shared with me some of the difficulties that he's going through and I tried to listen politely because that's what I should do and I should do it with a whole heart of love and care. And as Ben shared his story, my heart of love for him grew ever more. I said, Ben, you know, how can I help you? He says, I want to know Jesus Christ. I said, you mean you don't want any money? He says, no, I don't need any money. I just need Jesus. And so I shared with him the gospel and uh, that Christ came to this world to save sinners, to forgive us of our sins and by faith and repentance in Jesus Christ alone. He will forgive you. So I said, Ben, is that what you would like to do? And Ben said, yes. And there we prayed. And Ben received Christ as a Savior, and God's forgiveness became his personally. I said, now, Ben, I, I'd still love to help you out. It looks like you might need a little extra money, and is there some way we can assist you? He says, no, I don't need any money. And then what Ben began to unpack is this, that Ben lived down the street from us. He was a drug dealer. And he would sell drugs out of his apartment. And he had a supplier, and he had those that he would sell drugs to, and they would sell drugs to someone else. He was kind of the middleman of this drug dealing operation. And Ben says, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm trying to stop doing this. And so I said, Ben, I'd love to help you. So you need to come back so we can help you grow in your brand new faith. And I didn't think I'd see him again, but that next Monday he showed up. That Tuesday he showed up. 
So day after day, Ben kept showing up as we would work together to help him to overcome some of the issues in his life. And finally, Ben came to me one day and he says, I've got to leave town. I said, why is that? Because the man that supplies my drugs is upset with me because I'm not distributing the drugs like I should. In fact, he says, the supplier of my drugs broke into my apartment and stole everything in my apartment, including ripping up the carpet. From the carpet on up, everything is gone. I've lost everything. I said, well, Ben, can I help you out now? He says, no, I'm fine. I just got to leave town. And that's the last time I saw Ben for months. And then Ben showed up suddenly out of nowhere. Showed up in our office, came in, I greeted him, it was good to see him again. And then Ben asked me a question. He asked me the most important question anybody could ever ask God or those who represent Jesus Christ. And he's the only one that's ever asked me this question. And at the end of the message, I wanna share with you what that question was. So I say that to keep you awake as we continue through Hebrews chapter 10. So let's take a look at Hebrews 10. It's a wonderful passage. It's really what I would like to think of as the meat and potatoes of Scripture because it deals with the most basic thing that God came in this world to do. Now, you may not be a meat and potatoes person. You may be a vegan. So it's a kale salad of all that Scripture would offer to us. I love kale salad. I bathe in a lot of Thousand Island dressing that's delicious that way. So I encourage you, whether you're a meat and potatoes person or a kale salad vegan, either way, we're thankful that you're here because this passage is essential, basic to all that we are in our faith in Jesus Christ. So why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus tell us to hold on to him? Why did he say, believe in me? Because he has a purpose for us. Now, I want to be very clear. I don't want this come across in the wrong way. That when Jesus came into this world, he has great compassion for, for example, those who have broken marriages. He would love to heal every broken marriage, but he's not going to do that because that's not why he came. Now, he does heal marriages, but he's not going to heal everyone. He cares about the sick, those who are in the hospital, those with COVID. He cares about all of them, but he didn't come to heal every single person from all physical diseases. That's not his purpose. Jesus cares about the poor, those who are oppressed. But Jesus' purpose was not to liberate every oppressed person or to cause every poor person to have everything they'll ever need and to flourish them financially. Jesus, in fact, said, you will always have the poor with us. So it's very important that we understand why did Jesus come? He cares about broken marriages and the poor and the oppressed and the sick but he came for something more important than that. And that's what this passage is all about. Why did Jesus come? I go right to the middle of this passage. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. And the author of Hebrews says, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. I underline the word perfected and sanctified. The word perfected doesn't mean I am perfect and I have no sin. The word perfected actually means to bring to an end, to bring to a conclusion. Jesus used a version of that on the cross when he says, it is finished. It's the idea of completing what God had called him to do. And the word sanctified, the word sanctified means to be set apart, to become holy, to be set apart from my sins. 
So Jesus Christ came to finish what God had begun so that we can be set apart from our sins. That's why Jesus came. That's his purpose. That's the core. Everybody who comes to Jesus can receive that gift. Not every poor person will get rich. Not every broken marriage will be healed. Not every sick person will be rising up from the sick bed. But every sinner that comes to Jesus will be made holy. I love that word sanctified. It used to be in my earlier years, we would call this building that I am in the sanctuary. And why is it called the sanctuary? Because the sanctuary is where I separate myself from the things of this world so that I can set myself apart to worship God. And I look forward to the day that we can all gather together in this big empty room so that we can set apart ourselves from those things that distract us. Because I know when I'm sitting at home, I got a cup of coffee and I'm looking out the window, the dog's doing something, wants me to chase, help him chase the ball. There's a lot of things that sort of come into view. But when I'm here, there's one thing that we come to do and to be set apart to worship God. So why did Jesus come into this world? To perfect us in holiness, to bring us there. Our holiness is that passage breaks down, is not earned by our good works. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 3 emphasize that, or actually 1 through 4 emphasize that. There's a lot of things that we do that we think that somehow I will be more holy if I do those things. Look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. For the law, since it is only a shadow of good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near, but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. The author of Hebrews is trying to warn the readers of Hebrews who are fairly immature believers who are not growing in their faith according to Hebrews 5 who are not matured in their faith, who are using sacrifices as a way to gain favor with God. He is saying, look, these sacrifices are good, but they are only a shadow of what's coming. Sacrifices point me to the Jesus that is coming that will complete the holiness. These sacrifices, it says, will never make me perfect. I can never do anything to be made perfect in God's sight. And these sacrifices, all they do is remind me of my sins, that I'm a fallen creature that I keep working hard to become who God wants me to be, but I always feel so inadequate in that. Let me try to use an imperfect illustration of this. Um, I love the police, Uh, sometimes work with them when we're able to, ride with a lot of them. So I have a lot of uh, good views of cops. I know there's some bad ones out there, but I wanted to talk about one really good cop. He pulled me over because I did what I, sometimes we refer to as a California stop at a stop sign. And that's where you come up to the stop sign, you kind of look peripherally, there's nobody there, but you never really stop, you just kind of roll on through. Well, this cop, he was a sergeant, had three stripes, pulls me over and he says, you know, you didn't really come to a complete stop there. I said, well, I didn't want to incriminate myself. I guess, I guess as, as you observe it, that was the case. And that brought me to think about this in light of Hebrews 10. The stop sign is just metal and paint, maybe some wood holding it up. It's nothing in and of itself. The stop sign has no authority in and of itself. The stop sign only has value if there is an authority behind it 
that holds me accountable to it and helps me to live by it. The sacrifices in and of themselves are, are merely flesh and blood, skin, rocks, fire. They're just things that are thrown together. And God says, those things that you throw together, they mean nothing unless there is an authority behind them that gives power and meaning to them. And the stop sign is simply a symbol of something that I should look to in authority. And so he says, I, I don't want you to think by throwing together a bunch of meat and flesh on, a, on an altar that somehow those are earning you anything. They're simply a reminder that you don't have what it takes. The reminder of your sins, they'll never make you perfect. And I thought about that wonderful stop sign that, that it had no authority in and of itself except that the sergeant, his authority, let me know that I should have stopped. So he wrote me up a ticket. He was halfway writing the ticket and, and this is why so many, there's so many great cops out there. So he's halfway through writing the ticket. He says, by the way, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he paused. He says, well, I can't write a ticket for a pastor. So he tears up the ticket. Cops are so great. Just love these guys and these girls that do their job. It's a hard job. But you know what I learned about that? That although there are those things that make me feel shameful and sinful, there is an authority, this is a reminder, there is an authority that watches me do things wrong, but there's an authority that has grace that helps to wipe out the wrong that I do. And that's this passage. The sacrifices will never wipe out the sin. Only God the authority can wipe out that sin through his son Jesus. Just like the cop, he's the authority but he has the opportunity to express grace. So does God for you and for me. And so the way to not earn holiness is by my good deeds. God says you'll never get there from here. So then in verses five through 10, God then clarifies the basis of our holiness. So one through four deals with the things that I shouldn't do Verses 5 through 10 tells me the things that Jesus has done, and that is he is a sacrifice for me. He has come and offered his life for me. In 10.5 it says, therefore, when he comes into this world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired. Sacrifices, the things that I do, they don't satisfy God. But then he quotes Psalm 40, but a body for you, you have prepared for me. That, that's referring to Jesus. And I put on the little notes. In fact, there's an outline that is available. There's a lot more scripture there, some points that I think you would find helpful. But this, this passage is quoting from Psalm 40. There's so many Old Testament passages that aren't just talking about those times in the Old Testament days. They're pointing to Jesus Christ. So Jesus is that body that has been prepared for us. Then in verse 10, it says this, by this we, will all, we all have all been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus Christ is the basis of my holiness. And until I fully understand and grasp that, there's going to be a struggle in my heart. As I want to gain favor, I want to earn points with God, I want to somehow please Him, and somehow I never feel like I'm pleasing Him. And for some of us who grew up in homes whose fathers were never satisfied with anything we did, and we're always clamoring for not only our earthly father to be pleased with us, but now our heavenly father, and it feels always so inadequate in what I offer to him. 
But Jesus says, no. Dave, it's, it's not what you do. It's what Jesus has done for you. Let me illustrate. I have a friend, a woman, who today is 100 years old. 100. Unbelievable. And she's as smart and bright as could be. And I'll visit with her and kind of see how things are going. And, and it's always interesting because she's a believer. She's been a follower of Jesus for some time. God has blessed her in so many ways, the financially with a wonderful family and things like that. But it's amazing how many times here at 100 years old, having walked with the Lord for a long time, she'll say this, you know, so often I feel so unworthy, so unworthy of God, so unworthy of my salvation. She's repeated that a number of times. This couple of days ago, I was visiting with her, and she says, you know, I've got some friends that are thinking about the assisted suicide, what I call the death pill, and there are people who are taking this pill to end their lives here in California. And she said, if my friend takes this pill and takes their own life, would they still go to heaven? I mean, these are big discussions. And what I explained to her is this. I said, you know, when you say you feel so unworthy, well, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but you are unworthy. I am unworthy. But the beauty of what you trust in and what I trust in is not in who we are, not in what we have done, but it's in what God has done through Christ. Jesus Christ makes me worthy. If I'm trusting in my sacrificial acts of service to the Lord, then I'll never feel worthy. But if I'm trusting in a sacrifice that is once for all, that is sufficient, that brings me to perfection, sanctification, and holiness, then my, my worthiness is in Jesus. He makes me worthy. He makes me worthy of being a child of God today. He makes me worthy of going to heaven someday. And I don't know, understand all the dynamics of an individual because I know of a believer that took that death pill. But I know this, that God never rejects me because of my sin. He would reject me from heaven because of my rejection of Jesus Christ, the only sacrifice that makes forgiveness possible. Everybody gets to heaven, not because they are sinless. Everybody gets to heaven because they trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He makes me worthy. And she finds that so comforting to know here she is just maybe days or weeks or months away, who knows, at 100, because she can be worthy in Christ. Now, how do I get that worthiness? How do I get that holiness? Verses 10 through 18, there's a lot there that we can't cover for the sake of time. But it's all about trusting in Jesus for a holy sanctification. That's what the last portion of this passage is dealing with. How complete is that sanctification? Jesus says, I don't want to leave anything of question for you. So in verse 12 it says, but having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now a priest doesn't sit down. In fact, on, on uh, Passover, when the priest is offering the sacrifices of the Passover in Jerusalem, he might have 300,000 lambs that he will sacrifice in the course of one week. That's a whole lot of work. So he never sits down. He always stands because he's always gotten work to do. And blood would flow from that temple down into the, the Valley of Kidron. 
And so it was a big mess of blood. This priest is never quite done because there's always another sacrifice, always another, up to 300,000 of them. But when Jesus came, his one sacrifice was sufficient for the entire world, for the history of the world, for all who come to Jesus in faith. And when they come to Jesus in faith, like my friend Ben, God wipes away the drug charges. He wipes away every sin that's ever been committed in heart, mind, and body. And then what he does, he sits down at the right hand of God because he's victorious. It's complete. So Jesus is sitting down. He's not standing up saying, oh boy, I need to do more to help save Dave Mitchell. He says, I've done it all. So I'm going to sit down. That's how complete it is. So how do we respond to that? That's what the rest of the passage talks about. Some basic things. We wait. There's two things we do. We wait. We wait for Jesus until he's really defeated all the enemies when he returns. That's what it says in Hebrews 10, 13. Waiting from that time onward, once we become forgiven, we wait from that time onward, how long? Until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Jesus is going to return someday. And when he returns, he's going to return to defeat every enemy in this world. Everything that's ever frustrated us in life, God's going to defeat them through his son, Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19 is all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to see that I am returning to defeat the enemy who is Satan. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about rendering Satan powerless because Jesus Christ is coming back to defeat the enemies. Our mindset needs to be waiting for that return of Christ. And when I say wait, it doesn't mean to sit in the easy chair and do nothing. Look at this Greek word for wait. The Greek word for wait literally means to reach out in readiness to receive something. If I could break down the Greek word, we had more time, you'd see that that's literally what that word means. When those People in Hebrews' days read that. They read this, not waiting like I'm sitting in the easy chair doing nothing, but it's the idea, I want to reach out. I want to be ready for when Christ returns. I want to be all about what he has called me to do, waiting for him. It's similar to what 1 John 3, 3 talks about. 1 John 3, 3 says, everyone who has this hope of the return of Christ, everyone who has this hope in Jesus Christ's return, purifies himself even as he is pure. So there's a process we go through in that waiting. It's called holiness, purification. It's continually growing. Hebrews chapter 9, the, the last verse before Hebrews 10 says this, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation. He will complete our salvation in his second coming without reference to sin because sin's God. The basis of my salvation is Jesus. My sin is gone. He's not coming back to rebuke me and my sins. He's coming back to those who eagerly await him. I love that. To those who eagerly await him. Every day of my life should be an anticipation that maybe it's today. So what do we do in our sanctification? We wait. In other words, we reach out in readiness eager for the return of Christ, purifying myself even as he is pure, because that's what he came to do. Whether a broken marriage or a sickly body, holiness is what Jesus came to give us when we turn to him. Not only, number one, do we wait, but number two, we mature. 
That's what verses 15 through 18, continuing to the end of the passage, teach us. We mature because of a changed heart by the Holy Spirit. I love this quote. He quotes from Jeremiah 31. Again, so much in the Old Testament speaks to the New Testament work of Christ. In Hebrews 10, verses 15 and 16, we read this. And the Holy Spirit also testifies. And here's Jeremiah 31. I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. Now, when Jesus says, I give to you my holiness, I sanctify you, I set you apart from sin, so that now your heart has my law, your mind has my truth written on it. Now, heart and mind, I love this. So I underline heart and mind, because the heart makes me a willing participant of God's truth, and my mind makes me an accurate participant of God's message. My heart needs to be willing. My mind needs to be understanding. The problem is this sometimes. It's been my experience over my lifetime is that there are some people with wonderful hearts. There are tender hearts of grace. The heart's full of love, but their mind is not filled with truth. So their heart is willing and gracious, but they're not being led in the truth of God's holiness. They sort of make the truth up as they go. They sort of pick and choose what truth they want to live by, but their heart is full of grace. There's a lot of loving, heartfelt people who do not live according to the narrow pathway of God's truth. And then there are those whose mind is filled with truth, and my goodness, when you're around them, you feel sort of this coldness with them because they have no heart of willingness, no heart of grace, no tender heart. Those minds that are filled with truth sometimes come across as judgmental and harsh and, and unloving. So what God is saying is that I want you to have both. I want you to have a heart that is willing to grow, and I want you to have a mind that is accurate in knowing the truth to grow. Sometimes our hearts get hardened. And this last uh, month, I and a friend of mine went on a 4,500-mile motorcycle trip in point of fact, it was really a business trip so I could research this sermon for IRS purposes. Thank you. And here I am in the uh, petrified forest of Arizona. It's a beautiful place. You have to go there sometimes. These trees are incredible. These are like redwood trees. Here I am sitting there because I wanted to prove that I was actually there on this business trip. And there, those trees used to be soft wood. But I don't understand it all, but there's a molecular change that occurred, and those trees became, and this, this is like granite right here. It's like hard granite, as hard as a rock. And the concern that I have is that our hearts can have this molecular change, that we become hard. In fact, Hebrews chapter 3 talks about it. In the book of Hebrews, the author says, do not harden your hearts. Sometimes we don't receive the truth that God wants for us. Kind of reminds me, I was with our grandchild. Have I told you that I have a grandchild? I'll bring pictures next time. But I was sitting with her the other day, a couple of days ago, because she had a bad infection, and so she had to go to the ER, and they got some antibiotics. So here's my daughter giving antibiotics to little Camille with a little syringe, and Camille wants you to spit out, just spit out the antibiotics. And we try to convince her. She's, she's like four months old. She should know better that this is good for you, this will heal you, this will give you what you need in your body, you won't have pain, 
We want you to take this, but she just spits it out. When our hearts become hardened, God says, here's some truth that should shape your life. I pray you have a heart that will receive it and don't spit out the truth that I have for you. And that is a truth that guides you as a sanctified, set apart follower of Jesus Christ living in his holy world. That's what God wants for us. That's why Jesus came. For by one offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. A willing heart, a mind of truth, living out that sanctification. Let me close with Ben again, my good friend Ben, the drug dealer Ben that came into my office and I first of all had a little bit of a judgmental attitude, so I confess that. But over the course of time, once you get to know people, you realize, man, there's something there that deserves my love and God's love. So Ben, as I said, came to me. He said, I had to leave town because the drug dealer uh, is so upset with me, I can't be around him anymore. So I need to escape. So he left. And I think it was about four months before I saw him again. And suddenly he shows up in the office. Ben, where have you been? He told me where he'd gone and what he's doing. He says, I came back for one reason. I said, well, what was that? I wanted to ask you a question. I said, well, what's that question, Ben? And this is the question that Ben asked me. And I think this is the question that we all need to ask. Ben asked, am I holy enough to be baptized? Am I holy enough to be baptized? Well, I reviewed with Ben what he had done. That his holiness, his forgiveness, his sins, his drug dealing, his paraphernalia, his whole lifestyle, it's been set apart. Not because of what Ben did, but because of what Jesus did. Now, Ben, Jesus set you apart from your sin. He made you holy. And of course, you're holy enough to be baptized. And I invite all of us to ask that question. Is my heart and my mind, are they holy based upon Jesus' sacrifice for me? Or am I working hard to feel worthy, to feel adequate, when God says, I've done it all for you? Just ask me. That's why Jesus came, to give you holiness through faith and repentance of my sins to Jesus. It's so basic. It is the meat and potatoes of what we do. It is the kale salad for the vegans. That's what life is all about. Yes, Ben, you are holy in Jesus Christ. I ask the question for all of us. How about you? If you ask that same question, in Christ you can be. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you. Do you thank you, Lord, that you give us an understanding about Jesus and his mission. And Lord, there's a lot of things that trouble us in our world today. In this political world, in this restless world, in the world of protests, riots, and COVID, and there's a lot of things that are disturbing around us. Help us who love you to remember why Jesus came, that we would be holy. And help those of us who are holy to wait in anticipation, eagerly awaiting your return, but in the meanwhile, maturing in heart and mind, maturing in the biblical 
truth of a righteous life, living it out for your sake, not our sake, living it out to worship you, not to be worthy of you. Father, for our adequacy comes from Christ, not what we do. Lord, set us free from the imperfections, from the unworthiness of our hearts at times, to embrace you in your holiness and righteousness that we live set apart only unto you. Thank you for that gift that we could never gain any other way but through Jesus. We pray it in his name, amen.